0: Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to Saturday Coffee Clutch with uh, Heather Lofthouse, my colleague, executive director of Inequality Media Civic Action, and my former student, where we talk about the highs and lows of the week over morning coffee, pull up a chair. Heather, you okay? Tough week.
1: Tough week. I am okay. Thank you for having us here Enjoy the thanks a latte for the latte.
0: Thank you for the latte. But um, this is, you know, people in Florida and South Carolina and Georgia. a lot of other places are uh, are hurting right now. It's scary. Well, it's scary because uh, we, you know, as usual, we're not quite equipped for the kind of natural disasters that are happening. I say natural, but they're not natural. They are coming out of man-made uh, climate change,
1: combination, combination. I think, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and and uh, you know we have uh, Ron DeSantis, anti-socialist, anti-government crusader, going to Biden, hat in hand, this week, and saying, please, 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 I need help. We need help. And of course, uh, President Biden gives him help. Uh, but there's no moment at which Ron DeSantis says, "Well, you know, I I may be wrong about being so anti-federal government, anti uh, anti social insurance."
1: That would be remarkable if he sent an apology note to the <laughs> country. Would, I mean, and I think you're also referring to the fact that he didn't vote in favor of helping New York during Sandy. Right? In, that's right.
0: In 2013, when he was a freshman in Congress. He said no. There was a uh, Sandy. New York was in terrible, terrible straits. There was a bill, uh, seven billion dollars of federal aid, and DeSantis said no. I'm not going to do it because. And by the way, Marco Rubio also voted against that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, but this is the Republican pattern uh, for at least a century. They just don't want social insurance and every form of social insurance, every form of government, federal government aid to people who need it, they say is what? Socialism. Socialism. Uh, And uh, they're still doing it. I mean, this, this election, it's all about the number of speeches I hear from Republicans about socialism. Uh, which in the American context is social insurance. When people get in trouble, it's what we do. It's what government does. Um, And uh, hopefully, well, I don't know, Heather, do you think a a hurricane like this, the devastation that we see uh, people have experienced, uh, the need we have to come together uh, changes attitudes?
1: Oh, I mean, I hope so. We've seen it a number of times and it hasn't happened, but I would like to think that this latest one would be different or at least it'll move a little bit of the needle.
0: Well, I, I would hope so too. I mean, the, uh, the Republicans are still going to decry socialism. By the way, do you remember in June, DeSantis had a law passed in Florida where teachers in Florida had to teach about the how awful socialism and communism were. I mean, this... It's it's a it's a goblin. It uh, is,
1: but they're good at using making it pejorative. And you've said this before, though. But this is an age-old scare tactic. I mean, this is kind of old news recreated, and it's still working.
0: It's old news. Uh, they were they were at this. Uh, you know, I, I looked up uh, Governor Al Smith when he was uh, he was governor of New York. He was running for president in 1928, and he made a speech about how Republicans, for years, for 25 years. Now, this is 1928, so since, you know, uh, 1903, 1903 yeah. good math, uh, have been have been using the scare tactic of socialism. They don't give up. They keep on going. Right. Uh, it's a, scare tactic, a dis- scare tactic that obviously works.
1: And then there's climate change and the climate crisis, and that's being vilified too, and that's being blamed on the left and the media, and it's but drama I, and it's...
0: You know, I, I was surprised that the media haven't been a little bit bolder in uh, connecting uh, this hurricane, Hurricane Ian to climate change, because it's uh, the evidence is absolutely airtight. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if the oceans warm and the oceans are warming and we know a huge amount of data on that, uh, you're going to have monster hurricanes. There's just no question. I know. And uh, it, it, the connection is not even now uh, up for you know, up for question, up for discussion, uh, and the media, I think, are are just reluctant to uh, provoke Republicans. Mm-hmm. But they ought to be saying
1: this. I know they ought to. They've had a few misses this week because we were also the thing we've been talking about the disclose act.
0: Yeah. Talk to us
1: about did that happen? I mean, was there a vote? It didn't even get a blip.
0: It got no media coverage. Yeah as far as I can see. This is a very important piece of legislation. It came through the House, got through the House, uh, died in the Senate uh, for the usual reasons, because there were you know, they needed more than 50 votes. And uh, the Disclose Act requires that um, candidates or their supporters provide information on anybody, the names of anybody who provides more than $10,000 in a campaign. Uh, That's, you know, $10,000 to a campaign. That's not nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and, uh, the Republicans are very much against that kind of disclosure. This would be uh, independent groups, nonprofit groups, the social, so-called social expenditure groups. They are the ones where the dark money, dark money, is uh, is is accumulating,
1: right? And that's the super PACs and the C fours, et cetera.
0: Exactly, and and uh, the disclose act was going to reveal this and expose it. Uh, but nothing. it's not
1: like there's an election six weeks away. So why would we want to?
0: <laughs> well, you know, that's the sad thing because more and more money is coming in. Right. Uh, and there, in fact, there was a piece uh, recently in the New York Times about $1.2 billion over the last 10 years coming from the top 10 wealth, the wealthiest people who are contributing to these campaigns. And 1. their spouses. 1. Yeah. And their spouses. $1.2 um, and that's um,
1: let's note, in a decade, that was Citizens United. Can we talk about how that intersects? And was, well,
0: Citizens United was obviously 2010, and that was the decade after Citizens United, plus a couple of years. Uh, so we have big money, and that's just big money from individuals. That doesn't even include all the corporations. The corporations are putting huge amounts into these dark money pots because they don't want... Uh, Consumers to know that they are supporting particular candidates—it's, uh, um, you know, it, it's undermining in such a fundamental way. Uh, our democracy, people's faith in democracy. Uh, And that's another point. The media did not talk about the Disclose Act. Uh, Nobody knew it was coming. It was impossible for people to organize if they don't know it's coming. Uh, And the media don't even talk very much about big money in politics. Uh, There was an article two weeks ago in the New York Times, a 6,000-word essay, David Leonhardt, very good essay about uh, the loss of democracy. Well, he pointed to, uh, you know, obviously Trump and Trumpism. And he pointed to uh, some of the structural defects in our system in terms of, you know, how difficult the electoral college and so on. But he didn't mention big money. Hello.
1: Hello. What's going on here? I know. And we do. There are certain Senate races that are right now we're learning that Republicans are really out earning. Um, Democrats. they are, they are, they are out me. pulling in.
0: Well, they're pulling in money, but again, this is this is dark money, so it's right. going to these so-called independent groups. Right. They're not supposed to be coordinating mm. with the uh, the candidates. Obviously, they are in many many subtle right. ways and not so subtle ways. Um, and the Democrats are are raking in big dark money too. I think one of the problems politically is the Democrats have become almost as dependent on dark money as Republicans. Not quite, but almost as.
1: Right. So um, last week when we met, we were talking about it's going to be the last January 6th, potentially, committee hearing. Maybe not the last, maybe the last, but it has been postponed because of Ian. This one thing I saw this week was Ginny Thomas. A lot was revealed about her interview. One sentence I loved was when she said, I abhor violence on any side of the aisle. (laughs) Can you just can you translate?
0: I laugh, but it's so pitiful. I really I shouldn't laugh. I mean, Jenny Thomas, uh, you know the idea. Uh, does she think that she is nobody? I mean, I hate to even say it because in these days it is slightly politically incorrect to suggest that anybody uh, has political clout because of their spouse. But Jenny Thomas, it's not just political clout. Her spouse is making decisions about campaign finance laws. Uh, and uh, her, sp- her spouse is making decisions about how the str- the elections are going to be structured uh, and what is going to be permitted in terms of subpoenas and all kinds of things. And Clarence Thomas uh, is, uh, well, I can speak from personal experience. He was at law school with me mm-hmm. um, and he, well, let's put it this way, Heather. I don't want to in any way cast aspersions, but uh, I think he is exactly with his wife on all of these issues. There's no question. There's no light between the two of them. Uh, And uh, he's got to recuse himself from these cases. If he doesn't, I don't know what, th- th- there's, th- th- what the meaning of ethics is on the Supreme Court. Supreme Court already uh, has a huge problem in terms of public perception. Uh, latest polls show that most of the public is actually uh, n- doesn't think the Supreme Court is nearly uh, as reasonable or reliable or trustworthy as it once was. And Ginny Thomas, what she is going to be, did she say she is going to be talking to or she has talked to the January 6th committee? Uh, so, that's what yeah. we may hear about when that committee does report next.
1: Right. Well, so I know she was interviewed by Benny Thompson and others, and now there were articles about it. I don't know if she will be coming back and she will be on camera or how that will be featured, but I mean, it was interesting that she, oh, please, you think my husband would listen to me? I mean, he said, I mean, it was her framing of things I thought was pretty fascinating.
0: Uh, well, you know, again, I, I think it is, uh, remarkable we've come to a point in time in time where she can and the press can essentially give her that kind of free pass right um well no i, I she, the, the, the january 6th committee has perfected the art of uh, uh, taping these sessions and then using the portions of the sessions that are useful for of framing the debate for understanding a narrative. And I think that we will hear and see Ginny Thomas.
1: Yeah, this coming week. Can I do a shameless plug when you're talking about video? Yeah. We had a shoot this week. We did. We did. And we did, we're, I mean, stuff for Get Out the Vote. We're doing a number of topics. You mean
0: you're talking about inequality media.
1: Yes, civic action. Yeah. Um, and we're doing stuff on the importance of down-ballot races, down-ticket races, and what's known as ballot roll-off aka voter fatigue.
0: Well, it's a very big issue because people, a lot of these studies show that particularly Democrats, not less Republicans, uh, they don't vote down ballot. They vote for the governors and they vote for the senators and the representatives and the federal offices because that's where people's minds are. But they don't really pay attention down ballot. And this year it starts becoming really even more essential because the secretaries of state at the state level um, the uh, election officials at the state level these are the people who are going to determine whether the next election the 2024 presidential election um, is uh, is is a democratic small D election
1: right right so and there's domino uh, effects
0: so you have to vote down ballot and you have yeah. to know these 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 people you've got and to make sure that they are, you know, they believe in democracy.
1: What, well, yes, one would hope. Why is it the case? I know there are certain political scientists have theories. Why is it the case that Republicans are more likely to fill out the whole ballot?
0: I think the Republican think? Party has made it over the last three election cycles, made it uh, their focus, uh, the local and state ballots. Uh, and obviously we see the results. They have... They've taken over, right. you know, a lot of state governments, a lot of state legislatures. Uh, their uh, their ways of, uh, of of controlling the electoral process are now uh, becoming of real concern. Mm-hmm. Anybody who worries about democracy, uh, and this is what. Steve Bannon and Donald Trump are taking advantage of right now, uh, that there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of election deniers. There are a lot of people who believe in the big lie who are now running for office. 60, some 60% of people who fill out ballots are going to have election deniers on their ballots in the United States uh, with regard to these midterms.
1: And I think also, Republicans, there's a visceral sense that the local matters. Uh, it's,
0: It's... interesting. I I think that's true. Um, And it's in part because the Democratic Party has become more college educated Mm -hmm. um, and uh, college educated people, the the data show, tend to think about the big national issues and worry about the big national issues and less about the local issues. And your, uh, your people who are are not college educated, uh, who are more and more Republican, working class people, they are paying attention to local matters, and local issues. And the parties are responding to this. That's
1: it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's continue doing the work.
0: Continue <laughs> during the, doing the work. Uh, look, the most important thing is that we maintain a... A degree of understanding and optimism. I mean, uh, look, a, a hurricane, for example, and the devastation of a hurricane is a terrible thing. But uh, it is, it seems to me, likely that at least over the next month or two, the importance of a federal government that is competent to and able to respond to the devastation of a Hurricane will be prominent in people's minds in a way that it wasn't before, and that prominence may help.
1: Good, I like this theory. Do you? I do. Let's All take right. it. Let's. Okay. L- shall we end with one more song? So the opening song was from our fabulous colleague and Substacker Sylvia Brestel, who has done thank you, m- Sylvia, multiple songs for us. Why don't we end with Nocturne in Blue by Michael Hoppe.
0: Hoppe. Uh, Actually, Michael is a, a, a huge, huge internationally known composer. I can't believe that we have something from him, Michael Hoppe.
1: Thank you, Michael. Here it is. And we'll talk to you all next week.
0: Have a good week, everybody.